welcome to the Tuesday, April 12th, 2022 City Commission meeting. Uh, before we begin, I will uh, ask Porter Arneal to give us some announcements to explain um, how our meetings work. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everybody. I uh, just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom portion of our meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Please remember, oops, I don't need to read that anymore. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Thank you, Porter. Um, now I think Eliza will still read us uh, Sherry's statement about how to do public comment. Yes, um, a few notes on public comment. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals attending in person, in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Please remember to state your name before speaking. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name before speaking. All comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Eliza. I already forgot. We don't need to do roll now because we're here. I still need to do roll. Uh, oh, okay. Lisa's very experienced. She well, says we're good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if Sherry doesn't like it, she can email us. Right. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on then to approving our agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Um, is there anyone who would like to reorder the agenda, or do we have a motion to accept? Move to approve. Second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? That passes five to zero. Uh, next is our recognitions, proclamations, and presentations. Uh, the first is a recognition for the Certificate of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting. And I believe Casey, there she is, is on to say a few words. Good evening, Mayor and City Commissioners. I'm Casey Toomey, and I serve as an Assistant City Manager. In just a few minutes, we're going to be recognizing excellence and achievement by a very well-known team in our community. But first, we're going to recognize the excellence and achievement of a slightly less well-known team, our City Accounting Division. So I'd like to ask them all to turn their cameras on. That's Jennifer Wirth, Christy Bowles, Susan Desch, and Jeremy Wellman. And we're here tonight to recognize them because the city has received the Certificate of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting from the Government Finance Officers Association, known as the GFOA, due to their work on our annual comprehensive financial report for the fiscal year that ended December 31st of 2020. As you know, our city's strategic plan states our commitment to sound fiscal stewardship and talks about how we provide transparent and easy access to relevant and accurate data for budgeting and decision making. The annual comprehensive financial report was judged by an impartial panel of reviewers and found to meet the high standards of that award program. 
The Certificate of Achievement is the highest form of recognition in the area of government accounting and reporting, and its attainment represents a significant accomplishment. So please join me in congratulating our team, Jennifer, Christy, Susan, and Jeremy on this achievement and thank them for the countless hours of hard work, dedication, and commitment they have shown to our organization and to our community. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you all so much. Good job. Um, next, if it'll pull up, I'm having a little hard time getting things to load here. We have a recognition of the 2021-22 University of Kansas men's basketball team. Um, but if it doesn't load, I have another one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're very kind. They didn't come in person? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Porter did reach out to someone. Uh, but let's make sure there's no one on Zoom that uh, wants to make any comments. That's with the university. Okay. I don't believe so, Mayor. See anybody? Okay. That's fine. We still love them. Um, uh, so I'll just read this recognition. Whereas the 2021-2022 University of Kansas men's basketball team won the 2022 NCAA championship with a 72-69 to victory over the University of North Carolina men's basketball team. And whereas the 2022 Jayhawks squad not only won the national championship, they also ended the season as Big 12 regular season champions and Big 12 tournament champions and as the winningest program all time in college basketball with a total of 2,357 wins. And whereas this is the sixth NCAA men's basketball championship in the history of Kansas men's basketball, one of the most historic programs in the country. And whereas they were led by head coach Bill Self, who won his second NCAA title and now has an unbelievable record of 501 to 109 over his 17 seasons as coach at the University of Kansas. And whereas the entire team, including All-American Ochai Baji, David McCormick, Dajan Harris Jr., Christian Braun, Jalen Wilson, Remy Martin, Mitch Lightfoot gifted our fans with grit, determination, and fun throughout the NCAA tournament as they became the last remaining one seed and living legends in the city of Lawrence. And the team, whereas the team thrilled the legions of Jayhawk faithful who call Lawrence home, including more than 70,000 fans who flocked to Massachusetts Street on the evening of April 4th to celebrate the victory. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, mayor of the city of Lawrence, Kansas, along with my fellow city commissioners, hereby extend our sincerest congratulations to the 2021-2022 University of Kansas men's basketball team and our deepest appreciation to our community for its unwavering support, even in the face of double-digit halftime deficit. <laughs> Rock Chalk Dayhawk. And next is our consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners who would like to remove anything from the consent agenda? Hmm. 
seeing nothing. Is there anyone here in the room who needs to pull something from our consent agenda? No, okay. Is there anyone online on Zoom who would like to remove something from our consent agenda? I'll let Eliza watch for that for me and Porter. Oh. See anything? Nothing. All right. Uh, then do I have any motions to accept? Move to approve the consent agenda. I second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? That passes five to zero. Uh, therefore, we can move on to, I can get to it, public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Um, is there someone who would like to give general public comment? Wow, it's fancy in here. I've never been in here before. Welcome. You guys have been online pretty much the whole time. So welcome, welcome back with your courage, finally. So uh, <clears throat> some of you might know me, some of you might not. My name is Dr. Justin Spies. I've been doing a protest uh, since last July where uh, the mass mandates in schools went into place. and. I made it into the paper a couple of times, talked with Brad a couple of times uh, through email. Uh, yeah, never never any positives though. O always negative though, always negative. Never positive. Anyways, my name is Dr. Justin Spies. I have a PhD in lifespan human development from Kansas State. I have a master's in marriage and family therapy from Kansas State. Uh, I was a professor teaching human development classes and a variety of other classes as well at a university around here. With your guys' overreach and your policies that you supported, you did a lot of damage to a lot of people, including me. <clears throat> I've been speaking at the county commissioner's meetings. I've been speaking at the school board meetings, the health department meetings sometimes, but Dan Partridge can't seem to get it up on the screen, so I, I don't speak there very often. Um, but I want, I go there and I continue to go there, even though the mandates have gone away, because I want to remind them that I haven't forgotten what you guys did with your overreach. And I won't forget what you did with your overreach. There's nothing left for me to do now than to fight back. So that's what I'm gonna do. So I have a question for you guys. This last fall in October, I tried to go into the library to talk to one of my representatives, uh, Jake LeTurner, and was promptly escorted out of the library by police, even though I have a mask, uh, I have a, a medical letter, uh, documentation from my doctor that exempts me from wearing a mask due to a disability. Same thing happened at the county uh, courthouse as well. My question is, was someone that had a disability that couldn't wear those masks and was still treated like that, was I discriminated against? We don't generally answer questions you ask. Not That's not what I asked. Was I discriminated against? You can run out your time waiting for us to answer or you can carry on. And why or why not? Was I discriminated against and why or why not? There are exemptions 
not accommodations, exemptions to your madness and was denied. It's denied at LHS as well. I have a permanent ban from school grounds because I couldn't wear a mask. Was I discriminated against? What if somebody was pushed in in a wheelchair and they said, no, 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 no wheelchairs here. Wheelchairs not allowed, get them out of here. They pushed them out. Would you guys be up in arms? Would you be upset by that? That's your time. Thank you. Any other public comment from the room? Um, any public comment from online, general public comment? Not seeing anything? Don't see anything there. Okay. okay, good. Let's move on to our regular regular agenda items, uh, which is to receive an update on the findings and recommendations of the Jayhawk Watershed Study. Woo! <clears throat> good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Matt Bond, Engineering Program Manager for Stormwater. Wanted to... Uh, let me go back to the start of the presentation. There we go. Wanted to bring you a uh, update on what's going on with our Jayhawk master plan uh, for that watershed. Uh, as you know, you <clears throat> graciously increased our stormwater fee. And so some of the things that we're going to do with that is the first thing we did was uh, hire JEO, our consultant this evening, who will, uh, Jason will come up and give you an update on what's going on with uh, the, the uh, master plan we have. And then we'll, we'll go through a project overview. We'll do the watershed plan process, and then I'll come up and talk about our budget, and then we'll tell you what our next steps are. And with that, I'll uh, let Jason take over. Good evening, Mayor and Commission. Uh, thank you for having me. Jason Peak with uh, JO Consulting, and I've been the project manager and had the privilege of working with Matt Bond and uh, Nick Hoyt on this project. And you guys have some really great staff and are really dedicated to kind of helping to figure out the uh, best improvements we can in the Jayhawk watershed. So this picture, um, of course, is Beaufort Watson State Park or uh, Beaufort Watson Park downtown. I can see the basketball goal, and uh, many of you are probably familiar with the flooding uh, that occurs in this area. Uh, when Matt engaged our, our firm to do analysis, of course, the primary focus was working on a watershed plan, and that basically you know, involves the engineering work of developing the hydrology to understand the rainfall, where it's going, and kind of developing the flood conditions. Another core part of this project was having a robust community engagement. Uh, we know that's important in your strategic plan and important to the community, making sure we're listening and working uh, side by side with the neighborhoods. Our process included uh, putting together a steering committee based on recommendations from city staff of the neighborhoods involved and uh, business interest. And then we also had a series of three public meetings that I'll, I'll kind of go through how we uh, did that process. I did get feedback from folks that are impacted in this area. 
We also looked at uh, BMP evaluation. That's uh, best management practice uh, for stormwater uh, with your MPDS permit, uh, National Pollution Discharge Elimination System stormwater permit. You're required, uh, required to look at uh, providing ways to uh, provide water quality with stormwater. So we looked at a number of alternatives in the watershed that could be incorporated into future projects. We also looked at, as we solved this, that existing stone culvert that was built in the early 1900s uh, that's outside of the right-of-way in some areas, you know, how, how does that culvert get addressed as improvements come in? And then uh, we developed project recommendations to solve the flooding, kind of the primary thing. And we also started with kind of a, a very high level FEMA funding analysis. I mean, when you have flooding, uh, FEMA has a number of grants and things that could be opportunities to provide additional funding. Uh, so a lot of moving parts with this, but tonight I really wanted to focus on the watershed plan. So you have a good understanding of what we did there. Uh, on the city's website, uh, we've got this QR code. Uh, you can also go there and this is what's called a story map. And that was one of our primary tools we used during public engagement. So I'm going to actually take you to that uh, to kind of walk you through an, an overview of the project. And so if you, what you, you pause just a second. Yes, sir. Well, is there a way we can get it up on that? One of those two screens so we can look at him at the same time. Um, good point. Let me see. I don't mind turning, but looking on my screen, but you can go ahead and go. I think if he can do it, that'd be great. Okay. Um, so we had, uh, as I said, a steering committee and we had a series of, you know, three more traditional public meetings. One early in the fall we actually had in the park outside, uh, which was really a good way to engage folks. Um, and then the story map has been kind of our core uh, document where we've put latest project news. We also had a survey on there uh, early on, but to kind of get you into the details, uh, this provides kind of the project overview. And I uh, just kind of want to orient you with this map. If you're not- Hang on, sorry. There we go. All right, there we go. All right. Got it. <laughs> Ready to roll. So uh, the Jayhawk watershed, appropriately named, uh, starts basically uh, the blue line you're seeing on this map. Any rainfall that falls within that blue line is within the Jayhawk watershed. And then the top of the watershed, the highest point, of course, start, starts on the campus on Jayhawk Boulevard. Uh, basically here at the southern end of the map. And then all the water that falls through here ultimately drains uh, to the Kansas River, uh, just west of the, the bridge across the Kansas River. And so um, as we looked at the project, the city has, uh, has a parallel project, as you all know, working on your asset management, building your inventory of the stormwater system. So we've worked hand in hand with that consultant team to make sure we're using the same modeling procedures, looking at the same data. Uh, so these results kind of go hand in hand. So now on the map, you know, you're, you're seeing the results of that inventory, uh, basically the green lines being that stormwater network. Uh, this is, the, you know, the very curvy portions of it or that old storm culvert uh, that was built in the early 1900s. And all the little dots basically represent inlets where water can kind of get into that underground pipe system. 
Uh, basically, when we looked at this existing system and you know what it was built for, it's not even meeting what we would call a two-year level of service, basically meaning any time it rains, there's a 50% chance there's going to be more water than that system uh, can handle. I mean, you'll hear you know, two-year or 10-year, those are really probability of capacity for the storm system. You know, so your design storms, a 10-year storm event, and uh, this is is nowhere close to meeting that system. And that's, that's of course, why you see the flooding that's here today. Um, as I mentioned, we got into the engineering piece of it. And so now you're looking, we've switched the background on you, providing an aerial view of the watershed. So the light blue line is still the watershed. But as we zoom in here, what you'll begin to see is what we call inundation mapping. So as we model that rainfall for the design storm and it fills up the pipe system, the light blue shading you're seeing on the map basically is showing you the extent of flooding. And over here, we kind of have the, the depth ranges. So, you know, at, at the lightest bit of surface flooding, a tenth of a foot to half of a foot, and then basically, if you remember the uh, picture I showed you of the basketball goal in the beginning, you know, we're showing, uh, you know, almost nine feet of uh, flooding. And so we think about that basketball goal and uh, people dunking on that goal, they're not going to be doing that uh, in this, this type of rain event here. So we also talked with the public because, you know, this is engineering models. We use a lot of the latest data to get there. Uh, just like uh, you asked uh, the question about thinking about climate change and resiliency, uh, we looked at, you know, using the most current NOAA Atlas 14 rainfall data. We also looked at uh, other rainfall data and took the most conservative estimates. So looking at, you know, with that variability in rainfall, let's really make sure as we dial in the system that we're accounting for those future changes in rainfall. Um, and before I go on, I'll just, I guess, maybe pause and see if there are any questions. That was kind of the initial part of the process is telling people what's going on. Um, I may, if you don't mind, you just said using the most conservative estimate. That's a loaded word, conservative. You you probably mean something a little different. What, oh. Yeah, so uh, let me, I guess, say it in a different way. From an engineering standpoint, you know, rainfall data is, is based on historical data. And as we looked at NOAA Atlas 14, that is more weather stations with a more current rainfall system. And so you load that, you have uh, basically a total of rainfall that occurs over a period of time. There are other ways for estimating rainfall that may, you know, just hypothetically, NOAA Atlas gives you three inches in six hours. We might look at another rainfall datum that says we're getting 3.25 inches in that six hours and looking at that extent of flooding. And so when I said kind of being conservative, we're looking at what rainfall co uh, caused the most amount of flooding. So as we're designing that pipe system, uh, pipe system we're being conservative in our estimating uh, to handle that larger flood. So appreciate the question. Other questions? So we went to the public, asked them for input on this, and they said, yep, that's really what we see out there. And so then, you know, we had an iterative process where we talked about ways to solve this. We know ultimately it's a capacity issue. You need to increase uh, the size of that underground system. You have a very large watershed. So we kind of broke that down into uh, four project areas. And that's what I'm gonna get into next here. 
Uh, so as we went to the, the public, uh, we basically talked about project area A, and that's basically uh, the Aquatic Center in Beaufort Watson Park uh, for just kind of a general boundary. Um, and as we got into each of these project areas, we came up with a couple of alignments and talked about the pros and cons of, you know, this alignment you're seeing in project area A is basically replacing the pipe system in its current location. Um, and then the second was, well, you know, some people were like, you know, concerned about loss of trees during construction because it's a 72 inch pipe. So six foot diameter, it's going to be a really big hole to kind of dig this thing up and, and put it back in place. So we talked about maybe going up on uh, Tennessee Street as an alignment. Now you're under pavement. It's going to increase your cost. You have uh, limited funds. Uh, but could minimize some of the impacts in the park. And, you know, the feedback we got from the residents was, you know, really let, let's, let's go through the park. And so kind of the recommended solution and what you're seeing here, uh, dark blue line is kind of the proposed piping improvements. Uh, the dark green line is your existing stormwater system that would remain. And where you see those, um, the red dash line, those are the pieces of the existing system that would be removed. And both of these options uh, that we'll talk about A and B down the road, I uh, do look at removing, basically there's a, a reduction in pipe size at 8th and Tennessee and um, they account for taking that out. The next area was looking at project area B. Uh, this is basically uh, within a portion of the Old West Lawrence neighborhood, basically 8th Street to the north, 9th Street to the south. The red lines here show that existing stone culvert um, that was put in place. And this uh, solution basically included a large trunk line uh, going down Tennessee and 9th Street to connect to the trunk line that goes further south and a smaller line on 8th Street. We also looked at an alignment that was uh, within the neighborhood running the trunk line along 8th Street in Indiana. And then of course having to run pipes down to the low point in the watershed to pick it up. General feedback we got from the residents is that they would prefer to keep it out of the neighborhood if possible. Uh, what I'll tell you is when we get into looking at costs, there's a pretty big difference uh, between those as you look at uh, budget. So. Um, really want to kind of keep both those options on the table as we move into design process. Other areas in the watershed, uh, project area C, uh, this is kind of moving south of 9th Street up to the university. Once again, the color scheme red is uh, the existing underground culvert, and then the blue was kind of this proposed alignment. Uh, we think we can rehab underneath the alley. Uh, south of 10th Street, but would need to install a new line from 10th, basically to Mississippi and uh, 9th Street. And so that, of course, was the recommended solution. And then the last portion of this watershed, a lot of the inundation mapping here uh, shows primarily street flooding. We didn't really see properties or residences impacted, but you have a long linear system that goes from 9th and Tennessee down to 10th and Tennessee, and then along Kentucky, all the way to 12th Street. And this system's undersized, doesn't have capacity to get a lot of water in it. So we really just looked at, you know, replacing that uh, pipe in place as an alternative since it was in the right of way. But we also found that 
along 12th Street, there was a need to increase the system up there. You're seeing the green lines again that kind of re represent that existing system. Um, so we went back to the public, kind of presented these options to them. They provided feedback, and that's where you kind of see the recommended solutions uh, on the story map. And I'll stop once again and see if maybe there's questions specific about uh, those areas, and then we'll get into the findings next. I had a question. What's the, on your mapping, you've got red arrows and then you have blue arrows. What's the difference between those? Yes, Commissioner. Um, the red dashed line is the existing system. Uh, the dark blue line is um, the proposed system. And I'll go back to maybe one that has the arrows on it. And so the arrows on the, the light blue are just kind of indicating the direction of flow. But you have some on here with red lines with red arrows. The red arrows would indicate the direction of flow of the system. I, maybe if you could tell me. Uh, I'm looking at C. C1, one. C2, or looking at C1. Yeah, so the uh, red dashed line, or I'm sorry, the red solid line on this case represents that existing system. That's the existing, okay. Yes. Yep. And the, B, and the blue line then is your proposed? Yes, correct. that is correct. Okay, got it. Okay, um, not hearing any other questions. I'll go back to uh, the presentation. And as I said, this is available on the uh, city website as well for anyone that wants to go back and check it out. I'll go back to presentation mode. And so as we looked at uh, findings and costs, so you just saw project area A, B, C, and D. And what I've put on this graphic for you is to kind of help you understand the magnitude. So as we talk about uh, within the park system, you have a six foot diameter pipe to kind of meet your design level storm. Uh, the recommended solution is go to an 11 foot by eight foot box culvert. So I'm about six feet tall. So if you go about two feet taller than me and another two feet, three feet wider than me, a fairly large system uh, that is at a very low elevation within it. We looked at different cost ranges and a number of um, some other details we did within the project was looking at your comp plan recommendations that you'd have in there, taking into consideration the historic district and other kind of details that need to be in there, um, repairing the stone culvert and BMPs. And so looking at those, you know, basically order of magnitude, six to $8 million, that also included a 30% contingency at kind of this high level uh, planning estimate. And that's consistent for all these. As we move into B, area B, not as large of an increase, but going from a six by six foot box to a seven by seven, and that continues in area C, and then basically increasing the pipe diameter in area D. And so probable range of construction costs, if you were to you know, basically buy all these in today's dollars to bring that system up to your design standard, could range 23 million to $32 million. So a very large, uh, investment and you know talking with Matt and understanding kind of where you have programmed the budget we we then dug a little deeper to see uh, what would have the most impact because you know that uh, the neighborhoods that were flooding the properties that's really what we were trying to solve so we looked at a couple of 
solutions here to try and get there as opposed to looking at all the projects in the watershed. So this map here is just uh, once again, kind of highlighting those project areas. The uh, top of the map, we have project area A. This goes down to about 8th Street, uh, just north of 6th Street to the outfall. Project area B highlighted in green, C and D. And as we looked at our modeling, really the focus was on kind of project area A and B. So just to kind of go back into those details, make sure we're all talking uh, the same areas. So this is a, a more drilled in uh, detail on project area A. The black lines represent the new pipe system. Solid green represents your existing system that would remain in place. The hashed green is the existing storm sewer system. Other things that we were showing you on this map, light blue is your water mains, and then the uh, light gray dashed line is your sewer system. Are we on the same map? Are we on the right map on this what, that you're talking about? Okay. The, the map that we're seeing here is a slight delay because it's on. Okay. Got it. It's slide nine in the presentation. Got it. Um, and one of the reasons we showed all the, the other utilities, you know, what we're, we're replacing is infrastructure that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's underground. And so as you have to replace this infrastructure, you have to take into consideration where those other utilities are. It's almost like a jig, 3D jigsaw puzzle that you're working underground to put all this stuff in. So we have been in talk with other staff at MSO about your corridor approach, understanding where there are other water or sewer issues that need to be coordinated with these projects. Uh, so those have kind of been taken into account. And then this map is also highlighting, as we talked about best management practices, we had uh, conversations with the parks department about, you know, looking at the feasibility of installing maybe a bioretention pond where that existing basketball court is, doing some nice landscaping, enhanced swales that provide water quality benefit, could be an amenity to the park, but definitely would need to be designed to, to think about the maintenance considerations. And Parks also said there might be a location to kind of move that um, basketball goal. Um, so that would still be a service. But this is just kind of high level uh, thinking at this point, uh, looking at this uh, project. And so- Can I ask a question, Dale? Yes, sir. So the, so the, I guess I'm thinking about this this bioretention pond. I mean, obviously you have the the really big pipe going underneath there, but we're also going to have surface water that's not making it into the pipe. That's why we need both. Uh, no, so a way that um, you can do these uh, bioretention ponds is so if you think about that trunk line underground carrying the entire watershed flow, at the surface you could create a, a smaller area that's really capturing water maybe just from that block of Tennessee Street. Okay. And basically as it comes into the swale and the bioretention, it's filtered, has a little retention time, but it has an overflow that then connects it back to the system underground. So you're not creating a flooding condition, but literally filtering the water as it moves through the system. You know, in a built out watershed like this, it's really difficult to build a BMP that provides water quality for the whole watershed. So it's trying to look in these strategic locations where you might be able to do something and uh, be able to maintain it so it continues to work. So that would just be a, the, the small part of the water. It, it, yes, okay, sir. thank you. I, I kept picturing the, 
the the, the goal underwater. Yes. Like, you know, yes. That's a heck of a so, pond. Yeah, and what you'll see is, you know, once once you increase your pipe size, this next map here, um, once again, we're looking at the inundation mapping. And so just to orient you, uh, you know, we have basically the aquatic center, we have the park, the train over here, and then the light blue that I showed you before with the flooding extents, if project A were built, you're not seeing any more flooding in the park. So by, you know, increasing the size of that pipe, it's able to kind of handle the majority of the water. There is some street uh, inundation, basically at 7th in Tennessee. And then as we move over to Ohio and uh, 7th, and so, you know, with some additional inlets and connecting that system, uh, you're really kind of solving the problem down here that the folks that, you know, uh, are experiencing the property flooding, you're reducing the extent of flooding, but they're still seeing flooding if you, you start with project A. And so then as we shared this with, with Matt and Nick, Nick asked the question, hey, what if what if we looked at doing project B before? Because typically, you know, in stormwater projects, you work from the downstream upstream, just low elevation to high, so you get things right. Uh, so we took that and that's what we're gonna talk about next is looking at project area B. Um, and once again, you're seeing the map black is proposed improvements. Hash green line is the existing storm system. Solid green is storm to remain in place. So that's what you're seeing there. Uh, some added things that are possible in Old West Lawrence, we know there's a desire uh, to, to look at brick streets and things like that. Uh, so Matt asked us to look at like a porous pavement. So maybe like a paver block that resembles brick streets, allows that water to infiltrate through the street, get back into the system. So you're basically providing some water quality benefit through that. And you're gonna be repaving the street once you tear it up anyway. So there is some added cost with the, the type of pavement, but a way to get some benefit and meet some goals of the neighborhood there. Uh, so we showed that and um, then the other thing that we looked at within your, your comp plan, basically along 9th Street, you have a desire for a commercial, enhancing that commercial district that you have around the mill and the flower shop in that area. And there are definitely stormwater treatment devices, tree boxes and other type of landscaping that can be installed to provide a water quality benefit. So we looked at those. Uh, as possible uh, items to be included in the project there along 9th Street. And so that was uh, basically looking at main trunk line going Tennessee and 9th. And then we also looked, uh, as I said, at this alternate, we were able to kind of refine it a bit and minimize. Uh, originally, we'd looked at going down Indiana, but moved it back uh, to the east to Louisiana. Uh, so maybe not as much disruption in the neighborhood, but definitely you would have a main trunk line going down Louisiana and uh, 8th Street. But that also opens the benefit for uh, more of that pervious paving uh, with this trunk line there. So either one of these options is definitely going to provide flood benefit, and that's what I want to show you next. Um, and so, that, you know, sometimes in stormwater, it's, it's about trade-offs. So once again, just to kind of orient you, the aquatic center, this is the park up here, 8th Street in Louisiana, where we kind of propose installing the system. You see quite a significant reduction in the inundation within the neighborhoods. But the trade-off is in this model, we haven't done the improvements in the park, 
So you still have the old system there that's undersized. And so you're increasing basically flood levels in the park by our models almost 8, uh, 0.8 feet. And so kind of a trade-off is we look to, to solve this flooding in an expedient manner. You know, if you come back down the road and, and do project A, you've solved it all. But uh, project B looks like the best area to address the concerns of the residents and minimize the flooding. But the trade-off is you may have a little bit higher flooding in the existing condition you have in the park today. So I'll stop there and see if maybe there's any questions on our our findings of project area A or B, make sure everybody's clear on uh, what we're showing you here. Um, earlier, you talked about one of the two alternatives being maybe significantly more expensive than the other. Which one is more expensive? Yeah, so in project B, uh, basically the line that would come down Tennessee and 9th Street and stay out of Old West Lawrence. Um, I'll go back. So uh, this would be project B1, if that's caught up with you on your screen, but basically this is that large seven by seven foot uh, concrete box culvert coming down Tennessee, going up to 9th Street. I'll tell you the, the last piece of the project, basically Louisiana uh, West, they're the same between the two. It's just how we get there. Um, and then the alternative that we had was basically let's go down 8th Street in Louisiana. And so if you just think about uh, Tennessee and 9th Street are uh, high traffic roads. So your pavement sections are thicker, uh, larger impact on pavement there. That has an increased cost. There's more piping in B because we are having to run a finger uh, into the neighborhood basically to capture all the low points in addition to the trunk line. So there's less pipe uh, within this alternative. And, you know, as we, we penciled out that, that high level estimate, there's, you know, almost a million dollars difference between the two projects. And we did share this with the, the steering committee last week to just kind of talk about the findings and, you know, what I, if I could summarize the general feedback, they just really want to get their, their problem solved. So what works best, you know, and work out the details in design. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner. Yes, sir. Uh, I forgot my question now. <laughs> so you can continue for now <laughs> until I remember it. Okay. I apologize. I had a question. Yes, ma'am. So with the with Project B, Area B, we reduce the flooding in the neighborhoods. But with that increased surface elevation in the park, you estimated at almost a foot. With the additional foot, knowing what we've seen, flooding capacities in the park, does that additional foot create some spillover effect that could then exact further exacerbate the flooding issue around there? So, I, I mean, what we see is, is uh, in Tennessee Street um, and on the the uh, basically slide eleven that I'm showing you. If you look to the west of the park, so. As water collects in this watershed and gets down there, it collects in Tennessee Street and actually jumps the curb into the park as well as kind of surcharging out of the system. So as that water, uh, as the park's full and the water's trying to get over the curb into there, it's it's restricting that flow. So you're gonna have some street flooding. Yeah, but I would say, you know, you think about, uh, I don't know the duration of these flood events, but it's not like this flooding is here for, for days, it's during the rainfall and there is some up into the roadway because you've you've got some increased ponding depth in the park. 
So I'll jump in here for just a second. Some of that's also going to uh, be how high the Kansas River is at the time of the flood event. Because if the Kansas River is up, obviously the backwater is coming back up that pipe. So it may not drain out as fast as it normally would. So some of that's a, like Jason said earlier, that's kind of a, a, a trade-off. So one of the things that we wanted to take into account is we only have a finite amount of money. Typically when you're doing a stormwater project, you start on the lowest reach and work your way upstream. So when we were talking about this, Nick had brought up a couple of really good points. He said, hey, well, what if we do B? And you know, some of the models we had run up to that point was showing, well, I don't, we don't think it's gonna do that. But you know, given the fact that A and B together and the whole system was $30 million, I don't have, we don't have $30 million and we're trying to solve a problem that Old West Lawrence has right now. And that's something we heard during our public engagement is they understood that but they were disappointed that they were going to go, oh, well, if you're going to do A, how how long is B before we get that funded? And I, I couldn't provide them a concrete answer for that because I don't know. And so we went back and we looked at B and we had JEO run their models again. Oh, let's let's tweak this. Let's try and turn some screws and see what we can find out. And, and we found out that, yes, we can drain B. So it looks like what you're seeing on the screen or, or on our screen. Um, there you go. So, but it ends up with higher depths of water in the park. Well, if our adverse effect isn't really other than maybe six inches to a foot, right. and as soon as it stops raining, that usually is dry within a couple of hours. And once again, that's gonna be dependent upon the intensity of the storm we have, what the saturation of the soil was prior to the flooding event and what the river uh, level is. But that was a good trade-off we thought because if, so what if there's an extra six inches of water in the park, we can't use it anyway, yeah. but it's a better benefit. So you don't see any of the blue in the area here on the screen that the neighborhood is now able to still move around and we don't have any localized street flooding or property flooding. So that was the trade-off. We're like, okay, so let's, let's focus our attention on B. And so what we'll, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit in our presentation. Ultimately, what I want to do is come back in a couple of weeks and uh, negotiate uh, a, uh, a plan to develop uh, construction documents to put B into full effect. And then at that time, we'll, because this is kind of at a, a higher level, then we'll really drill down to say, hey, does this pipe go this direction? Because we wanna make sure that we're missing all of our existing sanitary sewer lines, water lines that can move, but we wanna minimize those because obviously that's project cost. So those are the things that, that we've looked at up to now. So I'm gonna steal you. <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're about ready to hand it off to you, Matt. So <laughs> yeah, so once again, just, uh, you know, as Matt was indicating 23 to 32 million, and then, um, we have some options and he was going to talk about budget and next steps. So uh, I had a quick question, quick question just about the modeling. Uh, what parameters did you use for your modeling? What events did you use for your modeling? So that's a 10 year storm. It's a 10 year storm. Yeah. So most municipal storm sewer systems are designed for the 10 or 10% storm. Okay. So the only difference would be is when we cross sixth street that jumps it up since that's a major arterial to a 50. Oh, 50. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is we don't want, um, major arterials impassable if we have emergencies so okay um yeah to that effect i was just uh, maybe i missed it earlier on those houses that are facing tennessee um what type of adverse effect would they have 
um, with the the dump off that's coming so if we don't do the model basically there wasn't an effect on the property it's okay fine within the street okay just the street okay yeah so that was something else we wanted to move everything that's currently on quote unquote private property even though we have a prescriptive easement through there we wanted to move everything off of the private properties in the city right away which in turn creates a higher project cost because now I'm not just fixing the storm sewer system, we're fixing the street. And we have purposely stayed out of this area for the last few years on street repairs, knowing that this project was coming. Mm. So while we're there, we're also looking at, hey, what can we do? Because we know we have a deficient, we got a problem with sanitary sewer line that's got a fish belly in it on Ninth Street. We're going to be there. We're going to take care of that when we get to that location. So once again, when we had talked to you a couple of weeks ago for the asset management, we're going to the corridor approach. So it's not just one issue we're fixing. What else is wrong in this area that we can piggyback off of that and fix at the same time so we're not inconveniencing the residents year after year, or say we're there in this year and then two years we're back fixing something else. So the ultimate goal that we're headed for all of our projects is, you know, we have streets, sanitary sewer, water and storm of those four, what can we fix while we're there? What do we have budget for? What can we realign our CIP to make strategic data-driven decisions on that water line has been there since 1929 or whatever. We have a sanitary sewer issue that maybe we can pick up some things and, and make those more efficient. The storm sewer is undersized and the street has a bad PCI rating. Those projects, if we, you know, you get all those are gonna rise to the top because they're, you know, you're, you're filling the goals or the slots of, of say three of the four or four of the four. So those are, you know, when we're rating our projects going forward, as long as along with the asset ID project, we'll be able to tell you at the end of our, our asset ID that, hey, these are the areas we need to hit. And then we'll, we'll, we'll parse those out with the other uh, three components and say, okay, now we can start to give you a really good idea of, hey, this is how the best bang for our buck and how to fix things. So do you see any other potential unattended consequences by by constructing these or repairing these out of order? No, because I think we have the, the ponding capacity in the park. So one of the things that we're gonna do regardless of whether we've done A or B is we're gonna take that 54 inch constriction out on 8th Street that's causing some, some uh, backwater up that system. Mm -hmm. We'll probably have a little more ponding in the street, but we're already talking about ways that what can we do to get that off of the street so that we don't have that. And one of those possibilities may be the BMP that uh, Jason had mentioned earlier, that maybe we have a few more curb inlets. And even though it's not getting into the trunk line down below, because it may already be under pressure flow because we're sticking with the same system, we just add that to the park and it's already got that. So in other communities, they, they'll take parking lots. They, you know, I don't particularly like to do this, but they'll take a parking lot and they'll sign it and say, hey, during intense rainfall events, this parking lot will fill. Well, everybody knows that the park floods. And so, you know, whether it's three inches or a foot difference of what we see today, it's it's not going to it's going to minimal. It's a it's a good trade off to do B because now we can address those issues right away for the residents in a more timely fashion instead of hey let's do A and all we're really doing is draining the park, and 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 some minimal improvements to the localized street flooding and in the area B, whereas opposed to where we flip them around. So the idea would be that um, we'll come back to you with a plan to, we're gonna design B, 
do some kind of planning at a higher level for A, so these are all joined together and dovetail real well, and then we can move on. So we, we do B and then we turn around and do A for the next project in this watershed. Okay. I got just one more question, more specific. As I'm looking at this map where you have repaired B, that aerial, could you bring that up? This one uh, here? No, that's the one where we repair A. You do B first. Is that right? No, no, I'm sorry. That was right. I'm yeah. sorry. So that little, there's looks like there's a little problematic area just um, in the alley west of Louisiana, just just north of Ninth Street, in the alley there. Yeah. What's causing that? Is there some sort it, it's of? Just a there, it's, it's just It's just a, so the alley drains from both the north and the south to that. So it's not. Yeah. So is it? A, there is actually an inlet there. Uh huh. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that's something that when we refine the model and get down into the details, that might actually go away. That's what I was wondering. If it seems yeah, we haven't taken, you know, we haven't gone into that granular approach yet. That's what I'm hoping to give them the next piece of this when we come back. Because it sticks out there. It seems like that's something we might be able to address. In yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, and that may be a case of, I'm going to put Jason on the spot here, that might be a case where maybe we increase the box size just a little right. bit and increase that capacity in the box. Because whether I go up with, a, you know, it's an 11 by 8 box is what we've kind of got sized right now, 9 by 9 through that section. So, 7 by 7. 7 by 7. And so maybe it jumps up to a 7 by 8. Yeah. And, you know, then it's just the cost of concrete right. because the construction cost for a 7 by 8 and a 7 by 7 right. is probably nominal. Yeah. I, I, I think it would be good to look at those problem areas that oh, yeah. objective problem areas. Yeah. Areas. So the ideal goal would be no blue in that center area from right. 8th and Ohio to 9th and Mississippi. Yes, absolutely. You can just adjust the design a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So then, of course, how do we pay for all this? So our current budget, we've got $2 million for this year. And then we've got four million dedicated in 2024, and so you know I would like to come back and give them an opportunity. Hey, let's let's go ahead and start in on a project. One of the things that and Jason mentioned this early is FEMA funding. It's brick. There's a brick grant, which is building uh, resilience, resilient and infrastructure uh, communities, and so that is a good match. And it's usually a two-year process to get that vetted and so that would line up really well with our 2024 and so we know we have six million right now we're looking at reducing some of those um maintenance program dollars and program 9801 so instead of 2.6 those last two years maybe those come down to like a million three apiece and use some of that money so our ratepayers aren't hit and so we can leverage that money plus if we get the brick funding i think 75 25 that's correct. 75 money from the feds, 25 from the community. And so that would pay for it. And then there's also the infrastructure bill that the feds are looking at. So one of the other things we're looking at is, hey, if we get a shovel ready project per se done by the end of the year, if those if the feds turn that loose, you know, my experience working for KDOT, you've got you got a project ready to go. You usually go to the top of the list for funding. Now I can't guarantee that, but that's usually what happens. So we're looking at different funding options as far as not just what we can do for our own utility, but outside federal money. So, so cost-wise, what, what would it? Um, how would it impact it if we wanted to get to the two project A and B, ready to shovel ready in case that 
those infrastructure dollars do get let loose. Is that something to look at or is there money there? Yeah, it's something we, yeah, because I had originally thought, hey, let's just design it from the river all the way to say ninth and Mississippi. I don't know that there, there's some, there's some drawbacks to that because, you know, you don't, I don't know if you want to go to the level of detail. We'll definitely take that into consideration for say 30% compliance for, for project A. But um, yeah, that's something we can definitely look at. I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, be. it may warrant at least a discussion because yeah. um, if the money is for pro project ready, project ready projects, so to speak, then, yeah. then we would want to have take advantage of that as much as Absolutely. possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we know we're going to do it eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then just to conclude, so the next steps, obviously, we're just providing you an update on what's uh, happened to date for the watershed study. And then uh, we'll negotiate a contract with JEO, and then we'll come back to the commission at a, in a future date here pretty quick and provide plans uh, to be done by the end of the year. So in case we do have federal money, we can kick that off a little earlier, maybe do something like we did for our, you know, right now we've got about $8.3 million worth of stormwater work under contract. I've got one project already underway on 30, or you can see it on 31st Street, that's where they've started. 17th and Alabama, uh, the 20th Street East system, we're, we're waiting on, uh, Precast structures, that's going to start up here pretty quick. 13th in Kentucky and then Sharon Drive are all going to kick off. So we're already seeing the fruits of what we've done. I'm just waiting to, to get rolling here in all those projects with the exception of the, the big one on 17th in Alabama. Those will all be done before the end of the year. So want to get plans, get them started, get plans done and on the shelf by the end of the year. And then if funding comes available, then we're ready to move forward a little more expeditiously. So with that, that's pretty much the presentation. So any other questions? Real quick, Matt, the for the brick grant through FEMA, that NOFO opens what usually September ish? End of August is typically when the NOFO comes out. And then um, uh, Kansas Emergency Management likes to have a, a tentative application in September. Uh, so kind of one of the things we did was look at, you know, what is our, our benefit cost ratio currently uh, with it? We need to do some massaging because we're, we're just not above that one threshold, um, you know, which if you can get a benefit cost ratio greater than one, that's, that's a really good indication. We were at like a 0.75 with the proposed improvements. There might be some way to segment it with damages uh, and other things to get it above. But it is one one pathway, and you'd submit need to have that submitted, uh, like I said, in September for an early application, and then they let you know uh, if you got January. selected, yes, ma'am, and then uh, basically final application needs to be done by December so that the state can submit it to FEMA in January. Okay. And that threshold that we were at, that point seven, that was just with writing in for. So for yeah. that for the entire project or was that just for planning so, yeah, we did a very high level estimates we basically took your assessor's property valuation data uh, we use kind of the fema benchmarks for flood depth versus property value what a damage is if we can get it just a little bit higher we can also take into account other things besides property damage which if that increases your damage value that will get you closer uh, to being over a one um, and, you know, some of that fine tuning kind of comes in with a more detailed design in the modeling. Well, if you used uh, 
this year's property value versus last year's property value, you just got a 17% uh, yeah. increase in uh, <laughs> valuations. Uh, I mean, and brick is is one pathway through FEMA. There are others with the infrastructure bill. There's storm and some other funding right. opportunities. So I think with Matt, you know, it's just it's it's trying to uh, just be aware of what's out there and trying to help you guys be ready for what does come. And along those lines, with FEMA, I know there's there's also the hazard mitigation. Would we be able to qualify for that as well? Do you think this project qualifies for that so hazard mitigation grant? The hazard mitigation, you're talking about structure acquisition and flood proofing. A lot of, I mean, you know, that's a, I guess, a policy decision for the commission in that if you wanted to go in that direction, because, you know, what we're looking at is basically replacing your infrastructure. Hazard mitigation grants, FEMA is, uh, Stronger applications, I would say, come not through infrastructure projects, but looking at property buyouts, flood proofing of, say, commercial structures and things like that. And that's a whole nother kind of pathway, not the one we went down. Right. So I guess one of the other things I should point out for funding, too, is not all of the costs that we showed up there is going to be borne solely by stormwater. So I had mentioned before, we've purposely stayed out of this area for street improvements. So, you know, we could supplement some of our street maintenance money with that too. The sanitary sewer would uh, also help since we've got that stretch in 9th Street that needs to be fixed. So, you know, whether that's a 60-40, 50-50 split between stormwater and sanitary, because we've got to dig the street up to repair it as well. So there, there are some other things we can leverage from our own internal funding and, and come up with some more money in that area. We're also looking at, hey, are there any water lines in this area? Um, sidewalk um, ramps and things of that nature. We've already got, you know, programs for that. And so, you know, those are some of the things we can do to help supplement that some of the cost because if we're truly talking about a corridor approach all of those different pots of money are going to feed into that to, to help fund the project so i was just looking at the cip for the next couple of years and um the idea um well i guess one of the concerns i have is if we're going to have the design you indicated you want it ready to go by the end of the year is that correct so this would sit for a year before we actually funded the construction is that is that what you're talking about yeah yeah that's big so what we could do is we could bid it in december like we did a couple of the other projects get our our project out there get it bid in 2023 and award it at the first city commission meeting in 2024. okay one of the items I saw in the 2023 budget was one uh, was two million dollars for just it just describes as a CIP program. What is that funding? What is that? So originally that was a part of this project that was pulled out to, in case we found other things with the asset management. Some of the other uh oh hey we've got a corrugated metal pipe that's gone south and we need to do that. Um, that would be an avenue. Uh, we've got another project where we've got sanitary sewer at uh, 19th and Maple that, you know, that might actually be used for that. So basically okay. the the door's wide open for okay. how do we shift the money around and leverage as best we can and get the best bang for our buck. Okay. So the Maple Lane project right now is slated for $2 million. You're thinking it might be more than that potentially. Yeah. Our early on. estimates and part of that too is because when we had the consultant look at that and take another 
the pipe uh, is a lot bigger than was originally yeah. uh, put in the master plan for 96. And I think the main reason of that was our intensity of storms and the run uh, rainfall runoff you're seeing. Okay. So already you can see, you know, everybody's talking about climate change and, hey, what's that additional rainfall? I think that may be one of those projects that was influenced by that. Okay. So that CIP program line item is more of a hold, yeah. hold for potentially projects that might overrun or potentially yes. even this project, if, if possible. We Correct. Can get it going. Okay. Thank you. And like I said, we're, we're, we're planning on adjusting uh, the 9801. So it shouldn't say 21, it should say 2X because those two lower ones on that, those two last rows are programs. Yeah. So so if there's any way that we can potentially look at getting this one going in 23, that'd be great. Cause yes. I sure hate to see the thing sit on the, sit on the shelves for a year before we, but I also understand we've got so many properties. Well, and you know, to, do. to the, to that point, maybe, maybe, so we had shown that slide. Is that, yeah, that's the yeah. one. And I'll wait for it to catch up, but um, maybe we do this in two phases. Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, maybe we can't do all of B in the same year in one project, but if that, yeah. So when that pops up, so maybe we do from, and when I'm saying intersections, don't take this for uh, gospel per se, but it, we go from eighth in Ohio and say, we go to the mid block of Louisiana. So it ties right into the existing storm sewer. So until we come back with say phase two for the piece that's south, then we've got something already done in that area. So there are different ways we can uh, we can phase this out. And of course, when we get into the actual design and start saying, okay, if we run a storm sewer at this depth, are we which sanitary sewer lines are we going to miss? Are there going to be conflicts? And then there's all of the private utilities and our water lines and and you know those things. So the next phase of this is going to vet out all of those options and maybe drill down. So, you know, the ultimate construction may be just a tad different than what you're seeing here, but this is kind of where we're, we're going and we're going to, okay, this is what, this is where we think we can go based on our initial water modeling and then go from there and say, okay, can this really work? Or are we going to have to change something? Okay. And the biggest factor will be our sanitary sewer because if, that's a gravity line too. So right. if there's a conflict, obviously we can't have that. So. All right, thanks. Thanks. That's great. Anything else? Uh, let's make sure there's no public comment. Anybody? It doesn't look like there's anyone in the room. <laughs> anyone online for public comment for this item? Not seeing anyone. Okay. Uh, any other comments from commissioners? Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Yeah. All right. Um, that brings us to commission items. Any items commissioners would like to bring up? Yeah, I have one. Um, so at our, our last meeting that went a little long, just a little bit long. <laughs> um, I know we're going to bring back Peasley Tech to talk about that issue or uh, that le that request from PC Tech, which is great. But then I also would like for us to um, have the Explorer Lawrence, they had submitted a financial report and I did have some questions on that. So I'd like to see that come back at some point just to, just to discuss it. That's okay with Commissioner me. Sellers, is that your board? Yes, that is. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any comments about that? I think also their contract will be coming up. Yeah, I thought I saw on our on our agenda items that they do have something coming up, I think in May. 
Um, but I, I know in having this in our lab in our last board meeting, um, when we looked at the um, final budget for 2021, I, if this commission remembers or those who were on there prior to um, December 7th of 2021, um, Explore Lawrence was not funded at their full amount for the 21 year. And so at the end of the year, and I do believe it was on our agenda, may have been our meeting, our third meeting of the month. I can't remember, um, but it was, and I do remember it being in one of um, Jeremy's notes, and then it was also shared in the board meeting that there were some um, funding dollars um, that the city was able to recoup. Um, and so that funding gap was then awarded to Explore Lawrence, which then gave um, their end of the year, it made it look like they had a surplus when they actually, in theory, they didn't. Uh, I mean, they did, but it was because they weren't funded at their full level. They got the amount they were supposed to. They got to the amount gotten. that they were supposed to yeah. as of so. But I mean, um, I think it would be great to hear um, Kim come in and, and share that and, and, and see the outline of what they're doing with that um, and some other things that they plan on proposing. So I, I think it would be great to just have that as part of their total presentation um, if the vice mayor wouldn't yeah. be opposed to that. And I think it would fit in in a dovetail quite well into their complete presentation. So, sure. Do anything they're going to have that? Do you know when? Um, I thought it was on our future future, future work items. Okay, that's cool. Our unmistakable identity. I might might be a good place to have it. Do you plan update from unmistakable identity team? Yeah, you know, I was just told that um, Kim waited around last week to talk i guess if we if, oh the whole time well that's what i was told i don't know if she actually was there she, so i, I she, feel badly she was <laughs> she had a two hour grace period on us so mm -hmm. oh that's, that's right she was out of town that's yeah right. so yeah i would just love to hear talk with her about it it'd be great if we can get it with that, that that'd work out good anything else uh yeah uh i just had something real quick and it was just kind of similar to what you had um Last week, I just wanted to thank our, all of our law enforcement, law enforcement officers, our city staff, and uh, um, all the accompanying law enforcement officers from the area for all their work in the last couple of weeks um, with uh, all the festivities and the parade itself. I thought everything went up without a hitch, and it was uh, just a, you know, a great uh, exhibition of teamwork, and I was just happy with all, all the folks additionally that showed up and just wanted to have fun. And uh, so um, I just thought it it was a great reflection of Lawrence. So that's all I had to say. Thanks for that. Um, uh, that brings us to the city manager's report. Our city manager is at home. There he is. <laughs> uh, good evening, uh, city manager Craig Owens. Um, the uh, we've got two items on here. One I suggest may uh, we may uh, create some con conversation around uh, on the survey. Uh, we sent that out to, to you a bit ago just to give you a little bit of time to look take a look at it if you had any additions or comments on it. Uh, we really are, are excited to get it out uh, into on the streets, if you will, into the community so that we can get results back in time to uh, use those to help 
guide our budget decisions primarily. Uh, and so it does take a while to get out there and get the sample sizes that we're going to need. Uh, but um, I think Porter's queued up to receive any comments that you might have or any discussion you might have this evening. I am queued up and I know that uh, Commissioner Sellers has sent, sent asked me some questions that I can go over. So this is the agenda item for this. And as uh, Craig said, we're working on the community survey, um, working with ETC Institute. Um, this has been uh, reviewed by a, a whole bunch of people, city staff, um, outcome teams, some of the boards and commissions. Uh, and we've gone through two edits on this process. We're working off of the 2019 survey, so that still remains a base, but we have made adjustments. Hope the way that I articulated this in here was helpful for everybody. So this is actually the survey in draft form. And what I did was I marked all the different um, changes. So in other words, this is marked as a KPI. These are new um, additional questions um, that we um, added and obviously going through in some of this are both new and for KPIs. So that is how this is laid out in here. And just so everybody's aware, um, if you scroll down past this, you'll actually see the contract with ETC Institute. And then past that is the scope, which articulates exactly what they're doing and how they're going to do it. Just so we can see that. Starting on page 21 here. So if people have questions, they can see things there. If agreeable, I can start with uh, Commissioner Sellers' questions, if that's helpful. Um, so <laughs> one of the things that um, people have asked about is the oversampling, which is uh, discussed here in their scope. Bear with me a second. Here we go. So we have asked them to do oversampling. So for 2022, ETC Institute will also implement oversampling of demographic groups in the city. This will involve oversampling minority groups, residents of Lawrence who identify as Black or African American, American Indian and Alaskan Native, Asian and Hispanic Latino, to ensure the completion of a statistically valid number of surveys beyond the number expected. This is based on the most recently available ACS and census information provided by by us to them, um, given the group's relative portion of the city's population. This will give the city the ability to run statistically significant cross tabulations of key demographic groups. And uh, Commissioner Sellers asked if, if, does this mean survey results will be offered in the aggregate as well as the disaggregate? I did reach out to Ryan, um, our um, uh, ETC representative, and he said, yes, the overall report will be based on the overall random sample. Any cross tabulations or comparisons by demographic groups will be based on the oversampled groups. The entire Excel database, the ran both random and oversampled, will be made available to the city. As to not overrepresent the race, ethnicity groups, surveys collected as part of the random sampling are kept separate from the main report and only included as cross tabulations or in raw data formats. That help answer your question. 
It does. I just want to make sure when I looked at the 2020 results, it it shared the side it showed the side by side based on the sampling and census. And I just want to make sure with when we get the results that we see the aggregate agree disagree, but we also see it based on ethnic groups. So that you know what is our African American population saying? What is our AAPI population saying? Because when it's aggregated, it could increase or decrease the statistics in it. Well, not, well it, it could increase or decrease the the value of that, but I want to know what that population truly believes based on that so that we see them represented separately as well. So, and what he said, yes, it'll all depend on what the presentation looks like. And speaking with him prior about this topic, I believe that he can do what you're asking. Okay. So that was something we did discuss. Because I get cross tabulations. I, you know, I didn't want to like break out my statistics and be like, can we get some chi-square or multivariate analysis stuff? I just wanted to make sure we can see it as the aggregate, but also what is what were the results based on each ethnic group? Understood. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk to him and make sure he, he understands what we're asking for on that. Did we get an email with um, your questions, with Commissioner Seller's questions? Did we get an email with her questions? No, she um, sent these to me just before the meeting. Oh, okay. So I wrote Got these it. down and Got reviewing it. them here. Um, then you had a few, thank you very much actually for your good editing work. You um, <laughs> found a few things that I'm surprised we didn't see. So I'll, I'll take care of those. Um, let's see, you were also asking about, oh, parking, um, the availability of vehicle parking downtown. And yeah, and I, go ahead. Yeah, and I, and I actually, I want to talk about editing. I didn't even edit my, my response correctly. So don't look at that. Um, I just I just made the note that I said due to the pandemic and the parklet program that that question might create some skewed biases and so I just wanted us to be mindful of that 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 question we may need to throw it out because depending on who you talk to availability of vehicle parking downtown you could get some skewed data from it. So, I mean, that was my only concern that that question there might be it could bless you could be potentially skewed. So understood. Yeah. Um, and then you were asking also under economic, um, under the economic title, uh, number nine, access to jobs that offer a living wage. Um, do you want to comment on that? Um, what I said was that based on people's understanding of what a living wage is and that it fluctuates based on region and market. So I didn't know, and, it, and this is getting in the weeds because that's where I live sometimes. Um, but I didn't know if maybe we could give an example of living wage. You know, I know that the chamber has used, has used an example of that, but I think people under people's understanding and knowledge of a living wage may be different. Some people may think $15 is a living wage. Some may say $18 is a living wage. And I think it's based on what our current market is. So maybe if we knew what our market, regional market living wage was, and to put that there, then that gives people a point of reference to say, oh, okay, well, based on that, yes, there's jobs available based on that living wage. And I believe the thinking behind this too was both to garner data, but also as an educational opportunity to, to see how people respond. Respond to it. Your yeah. point is well taken though as well. It's fascinating, honestly, This I'm still relatively new to this and it's fascinating the nuance of some of these and how you can see they can 
potentially go in different directions, but we have discussed these and tried to get as accurate as pinpointed as possible on right and i think i think this is great it just helps us think you know at further discussion on it i mean it, it, like if you were doing a focus group and i think the point i brought up is more focus group driven if you were to say what do you what are your thoughts on our on a living wage what do you think the living wage is in our community than that but i think what you have here is sufficient it's just it help, allows us to think and imagine you know where we could take this and then under number 15, you were asking about conditions of condition of sidewalks in your neighborhood and whether or not people, um, if some neighborhoods don't have sidewalks and how they might respond to that. And that is that either don't know or neutral okay. response. So that's yeah. a good question. I just, cause I pulled it from 20 where it's responsiveness of city social media accounts. And you said, and it has an area, if you don't follow at least one city social media account, select don't know. So for someone condition of sidewalks in my neighborhood, you know, if you're like Commissioner Finkeldye and you don't have sidewalks in your neighborhood, sure. then I would say don't know. Understood on that one. And then this one, I think you have a great idea. Um, so under uh, 24, number 10, viewed or attended a city commission or advisory board meeting, and you mentioned potentially splitting those two out so we know city commission or board and commission. Right. And I think we can do that. I think that's a great suggestion. Thank you. And let's see, number 20 was the next one here. I had another one in that, but it was just more food for thought because it said frequency. I said frequency oh, might be correct. the correct word yeah. to use here, perhaps use the service. Oops. Because if you're asking me use the transit yes. services, I may have used it, but frequency in the last 12 months, yes, I've used it, but it doesn't tell you how many times I've used it. But again, it depends on if you're just wanting to identify use of service, not necessarily frequency of service. Right. I think those are two different. No, I think it's valid and I plan to talk to Ryan about that. And okay. You may take your suggestion and just shift it so that it's more accurate in how we're asking the question. Again, really appreciate that. It's really helpful. And then um, you also had... The last one was 25. Oh, no. Oh, rent or own. Um, yeah, there was a space there and I didn't know if you meant to put blocks there. Again, I think that's a good idea if we can call out renters or owners um, and just identify that. So I will work with Ryan on how we can do that. And then number 36 was the, the um, uh, would you like to be entered into a drawing for a chance to receive one $500 <laughs> prepaid Visa gift card for completing the survey? You asked the valid question, which is? Just one. <laughs> but I said, could we split it? <laughs> could we do five 100 or, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's enticing to get a $500 gift card, but if I'm only one of 800, the odds are, the odds are a little. So I just thought maybe if we did, Two, two fifty, five, one hundred. I don't know. I, I wasn't saying increase it, but maybe increase the the odds of the possibility of getting something. And I can tell you, I spoke with Ryan. The rationale is that they have seen that the um, larger sum, larger sum, is, yeah. is more of an incentive for people to respond. But of course, ultimately, it's really up to us how we want to uh, implement that. Yeah. So that would be something that you all can discuss and change if you'd like to. Porter, I have one more, 25B, question five. 
that was just, I felt like that was duplicative to say I felt I was treated fairly ah, and equitably. You. So if we just said, we're, I didn't know if you meant to say treat it fairly or equally, or do we just want to say treat it fairly? Because it's kind of, you're saying equitably and equitably right. in my sense, in my rationale. But Understood. And I did reach out to Ferris and he reminded me that part of this is that educational opportunity as well. Um, so I understand that there's a language issue, but then there's also the educational piece of reaching out. So um, we can change it. If he's good with it, I don't, I'm, I'm up for his. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming at it from a, a linguistic. More so linguistic yeah. yeah. Let me, I'll double check with him, but I think that, um, and we can discuss it further, make sure it's yeah. agreeable. Thanks again for bringing it to our attention. That helps. Yeah. I like that you were able to highlight the rephrasing and the, stru the structural differences that made it quite helpful to understand what was added and what was rephrased and what was restructured. So that was that was great. I appreciated that. Yeah, I really appreciate Danielle Bushcutter and her doing this for a few years and now taking it over. And um, it's a lot to <laughs> to manage as these things come in. But I think we've done a really good job. And as I said, I think it's been scrutinized very carefully by a number of people. So I feel pretty confident um, that we're on a good track and hopefully can get this moving along very quickly. Happy to answer other questions too. Anything else? Give me for turning my back to you. I, this is a <laughs> situation with sharing screen. Anything else on that? I, I just got one question with this. This is great to have this, um, this going out. I know we do it every few years. Uh, we also do an internal one. Have we done that recently? It's the City Manager Craig Owens. Uh, so which, which do you mean? It seems like um, a few years ago or maybe longer, we uh, ETC also did one for uh, asking, you know, how satisfied staff are with various aspects of our departments. It was pretty in-depth. Um, trying to remember when that was, but it was it was a great information. I remember that. Um, I, I'll have to familiarize myself with that. Um, I, I would say that we are doing an annual uh, employee engagement survey ourselves. Um, and um, our, uh, in, it's a, it's an important. That's part of our um, also in our scorecard uh, employee engagement index is uh, one of the things that we've kind of hitched to, so we understand our performance in the that commitment area. Okay, thanks. Anything else? This is a public comment item. Is there anyone here to comment on the city manager's report? Nope. Is there anyone online here to comment on the city manager's report? Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers, and I didn't know this was actually going to be on the city manager's report, but I actually had this looked up for something else because I was looking up at sidewalks. But um, so I don't know what the what's projected for the next one, but on the 2019 one, um, the second, like when it comes to um, 
the size, what we were supposed to be working on, like what the residents want. Um, one of the, the second, well, the most important was like overall maintenance of city streets and utilities. And then second was overall flow of motor vehicle traffic and congestion management on streets in the city. And I'm wondering, um, like when it comes to the owl, can someone argue that having too much um, neighborhood traffic it falls under that. Like, what if what if the owl barriers on that in the owl neighborhood? You know, like what if that increases congestion for 9th Street, but it reduces the number of the amount of traffic going through the neighborhood? So. What how what would that rank on just the overall flow of motor vehicle traffic and congestion management like is because either side could be arguing well we want less traffic on this street you know so I was just wondering if there's any way because when I read that question I see it as people want to be stuck less in traffic you know so is that the way it's supposed to be interpreted or can neighborhoods use it as an argument to have less traffic in their neighborhoods for the safety of pedestrians and their children because i think it's kind of two different reasons not to want like approaching the the topic of traffic congestion and like traffic management like it kind of you can potentially have two opposing sides both answering yes or no to the same question. So I don't know, but I, I hope you all use this more because I think it shows that people care more about vehicles. And I think it, it does show because the past ones, the vehicle ranks higher than but people are responding to the pedestrian stuff. So, and also I think is there any, should bikes and traffic be differentiated also like our projects some projects are good for bikes but not necessarily cars but that i i don't know i don't know what the current one looks like but i was just throwing that out there about the overall flow of motor vehicle traffic and congestion management that i i think it means though that people want to be stuck less in traffic thank you Anyone else? Yes, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the calendar. Are there any calendar items commissioners need to comment on or add? Okay. Uh, I would entertain any motions to go home. Move to adjourn. Second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, all in favor? None opposed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was